This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. I'm Johnny Hart and you're listening to the Market Insights Market Pulse podcast. Let's speak to our Friday guests. It's Oanda Senior Market Analyst in London, Craig Earlham and Trader Nick in the United States. Good afternoon, guys. Hey, Johnny. Happy Friday. And of course, it's non-farm payroll day and some very interesting figures. Jobs growth in the United States stronger than expected. There are some reasons for that, which we'll discuss in a minute. Employers adding 199,000 jobs in November. And uh, the jobless rate is also down to 3.7%. That's the lowest since July. Let's uh, get your thoughts, guys. Uh, Nick, what did you make of these figures? Yeah, so as you mentioned, the unemployment rate ticked lower, came down to 3.7%. That was definitely a surprise. Same thing with the employment change. Uh, and actually also worth mentioning is the average hourly earnings were uh, hotter than expected. And all of this to say it was pretty much a beat in all areas uh, for for NFP this time around. However, that is also coming off of a week where we saw claims um, and jolts both kind of showing some slowdown. Uh, I think it was an interesting reaction from the market. We were talking just moments before jumping on the podcast about how if you take a look at the dollar's reaction to this today, it was really interesting. You had uh, an initial pop higher as a lot of uh, beats came across the board in terms of the labor market stuff, and it caused the dollar to pop. And then it came right back down, and now at the time of recording, we're back up to around 104. Uh, This has been basically where we've been at for the last three or four days. Um, I think what's interesting here is that, yes, you did get uh, arguably a pretty uh, pretty hot labor read this uh, month or the month of November, but I think it also immediately comes into question, does this drastically change the outlook or consensus going into the new year? Again, we've had a, a, a plethora of economic slowdown numbers rolling in uh, in the last few weeks. You combine that with, generally speaking, the new market consensus is now not how much more are we going to rate hike, but now it's a question of when are we going to cut. And I think that's really where markets are debating. We, we forecast that you know uh, several weeks ago as we kind of um, saw the, the commentary shift drastically from the Fed. Now the question being when are rate uh, cuts. To the dollar bulls, they're going to look at this and say, well, push back your expectations. And to the dollar bears, I think they're going to look at this and say, well, the trend is still intact. Sure, you had one hot read, but that's amongst a bunch of economic slowdown data. Uh, and, And again, I should clarify that data is not necessarily crashing economy data. It's just cooling economic data, which is what the Fed wants to see. And, and I also point to one other thing. I want to ask uh, Craig, because I know he has some clarification on um, unemployment claims and things like that, which I think are really important to talk about as well. One thing I think also is that what have we heard from the Fed over and over? Their goal right now is very fixated on inflation while also trying to keep job statistics as favorable as possible. What I think really what that points to is that yes, today's number is important. And yes, uh, it was a little bit off from the, the overall trajectory, the overall cooling labor um, market. But I think still what the markets may also be saying, well, don't get overly excited. We have CPI on Tuesday. That's a couple market days away. And that's what the Fed is most interested in. They want to see that inflation number come down. And that's where I think it kind of makes the jobs number, yes, still important. You could take a look, for example, at the two-year yield. It did pop higher and and slightly, like I said before, coming on the podcast, we usually chat for a few minutes and Craig pointed out that projections 
four um, rate cuts did extend out a little bit further. And that's worth mentioning. You can kind of see that a little bit reflected here in the two year. So really interesting day. Uh, but again, I think that this in overall uh, context does not change the outlook for now. Um, but it is a, a definitely a surprise. Craig, you mentioned uh, just before jumping on, we've got some topics to, to discuss about claims this week, uh, which we have not talked about since the last podcast episode. What do you make of NFP today? Was there something that I missed? And I guess uh, some of that clarification on the unemployment environment right now. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think you covered everything pretty well, to be quite honest. I think it was a strong report or at least a stronger report than people wanted. There was a sense of greed going into this report, right? We'd had three reports in a row where the numbers have been really quite good. Monthly wage growth had been 0.2% on three occasions, uh, which is exactly what we want to see. We want to see sustainable levels of wage growth. Well, three 0.2% three readings very much falls into that category, and it kind of takes the shine off the annual number because the annual number is no longer representative of the near-term trend. And even with today's jump at 0.4%, the near-term trend is still very favorable. Uh, as far as wage growth is concerned. Uh, and I think it's around 3.4% if you kind of take the three-month average and annualize it. So it's still much more consistent with 2% inflation and uh, well below the 4%, which the annual figure still gives us. So that's why you've got to pay attention to both of these figures. Uh, and I think people just got a bit greedy. We were hoping for another really good, another Goldilocks report to go into the Fed with end the year in a positive way, give us that Santa rally, blah, blah, blah. And we didn't get it. And we're not, I mean, that's not the end of the world. We're not going to get great reports every time. And it's not going to be the, it's, it's unlikely, should I say, to be the Goldilocks scenario every month. And there's been a lot of chatter this week in the markets about are markets positioned well or are they overly optimistic? We were talking about markets being priced for a March rate cut and four to five rate cuts next year. That seems very optimistic uh, and not impossible, but very optimistic. And, uh, uh, and, and, what today's done is, as you say, it's kind of pushed that back. So now March looks a bit 50-50, May looks more likely, and then Monk is still pricing in four rate cuts for next year. So still quite optimistic, but maybe that fifth one's been pushed back to 2025 and so on and so forth. Maybe looks a little bit more realistic at this stage. Things will obviously change as the data comes in and the months pass by. Like you say, you covered everything really well, and um, that's just to kind of add that little bit of extra to it. In, re in relation to the overall labor market, yeah, I think the jobless claims yesterday were interesting, and not necessarily in the most obvious of ways. The headline jobless claims number yesterday was around 220,000, which is where it was last week and where it was expected to be this week. So people would look in and say, well, what's interesting about that? Well, what's interesting is jobless claims have remained really low, which has caught a lot of people off guard. You would have thought this high interest rate environments, cooling economy, cooling labor market would mean more layoffs. And especially from these extraordinarily low levels, around 220,000. But while we are still printing 220s, we are seeing continuing claims rising. So what does that tell you? Well, that tells me that people aren't being laid off uh, at a more aggressive rate, but they are finding it harder to get jobs. Uh, and that's kind of half of the labor market, right? There's there's how quickly companies lay off workers and then how quickly companies hire workers. The NFP numbers have been gradually declining month to month. So we're still sub 200,000. We were well above that six, 12 months ago. Uh, so we are still seeing declining jobs growth. We're seeing higher levels of immigration and we're seeing jobless claim numbers rising uh, on, on a continuing basis or continuing claims rising, even if initial claims are still low. So that's kind of half the picture looks like a sign of a cooling economy, and maybe the other part is playing a little bit of catch-up. Maybe there's a bit of scarring from the pandemic. Remember, straight after the pandemic, 
A lot of people thought unemployment rate would spike. A lot of companies laid off workers. And then they realized the economy is not collapsed. We need to hire people back. But now there's a shortage of workers and we need to spend a, a whole lot of money to get people back if we can attract the talent. And after that, when things started to cool down again, companies were very reluctant to lay off workers because they'd learned this lesson before. If we're in a tight labor market. It's very hard to get the right workers back. It's very expensive to get them back. So they maybe that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a bit of a scarring from that. Like, let's just hold on to people as long as we can. And then if need be, we can lay them off later. But hiring is clearly slowing. The combination of the two is still going to make the Fed happy. The Fed's still going to look at this and say, the labor market's cooled. Hiring has slowed. Companies are not uh, are more reluctant. And uh, at the same time, wage growth over the last three to four months is much more consistent with inflation returning to target. The question is, is it enough to convince them to drop this whole, we could still raise interest rates? Because that's what the markets need to see. Markets want to see the Fed completely drop that. Not necessarily say the tightening cycle is over, but just stop saying we'll tighten more if we need it. Because that is the strongest signal that they could possibly realistically send at this point that would enable a March rate cut. If they say next week that uh, a rate hike is still an option and it's still on the table and it's still being discussed... A March rate hike, even with the late pivot, looks really unlikely. Yeah, I think if you're looking at the indices, there was a bit of a mixed response. Uh, well, uh, you can clearly see on on the day at the time of recording that the the impact initially was a shoot to the downside, and then it flew back the other direction, took out the highs, and now it's trading back basically flat on the day. Uh, it's been all over the place. But I think also what is worth mentioning, I said this earlier, but uh, I do want to kind of come back to it. Craig pointed out that the the it's all about now the moving needle of when those rate cuts are coming. And I think you can see the most clear reaction in the yields uh, department today. I, I mentioned the two-year yield. The two-year yield was trading um, just before today's news around 4.57%. I'm talking about, of course, the U.S. two-year. I've got it pulled up on the daily chart, and it's now trading at 4.725. So uh, a, a meaningful jump that's uh, you know, 2. 2. 2.5, 2.8% uh, move higher on the yields. And again, I think that that's where you're seeing it. You're also seeing it a little bit in the dollar. The dollar... Um, is you know it's been in a downward trend recently, but has been on the rise in the last five to seven days. I think when you look at the currencies across the world, another thing that is very much worth mentioning, if we're talking currency pairs, is the yen. Um, just completely exploded the other day, uh, which we could definitely discuss a little bit. That's probably worth mentioning. Um, basically, the the governor of Japan mentioned uh, the idea of possibly getting rates into positive territory, which I think is really interesting, probably uh, center stage in the currency world, because if they're talking about raising rates, meanwhile, we're over here on the Western side of the world talking about cutting rates, suddenly the yen, um, yen's dynamics really change where it's been much of the opposite for the last you know few years. The dollar yen has just exploded uh, for, for quite some time. Again, I think that if you're talking about the NFE, the jobs numbers today, where you see it most um, clearly is mostly on the yields and the currency side, whereas the S&P 500, I think, uh, there's there's some added twists mixed in there. Craig, what do you think about the yen situation and does it change the story for the dollar at all? I mean, uh, a, a really strengthening yen, um, could it kind of dethrone the, the, the dollar for a little while in terms of that kind of safe haven and monetary policy change dynamic? Do you think that could be something that becomes a bigger story in 2024? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly the case. When we look at what's driven dollar-yen to such high levels to the point that there's been so much intervention chat over the course of the last 18 months, it's been the divergent monetary policies. You've had the Bank of Japan fully committed to negative interest rates, to its yield curve control, to bond buying at a time when the US has raised interest rates by five and a quarter percent. So that divergence has driven massive moves in the currency pair. And now that the US is likely to be considering cutting interest rates, the Bank of Japan is looking to potentially tighten monetary policy and go in the other direction, even if it is only likely to be small moves. The recent commentary that we've had about moving out of negative interest rates is a big step. It's a big step that we haven't seen for years from from, from Japan. So that could certainly make the pair more interesting. And as you alluded to this week, we saw a massive decline. Was it Wednesday, when Wednesday, Thursday, we saw a 2% decline in the dollar-yen pair on the back of those comments? Seemingly relatively insignificant comments. I don't. I would argue we haven't really learned a lot from anything that's been said, but triggered a massive move in the yen. I mean, from a technical perspective, it broke this kind of multi-month rising trend line, which so there may be a, been a technical element to this. Uh, but yeah, I think that's been a really interesting one to watch. And what was interesting also today in dollar yen, because we were recording a webinar when this happened, uh, when the numbers were released. And in every dollar pair, we saw a massive move in the dollar on the back of the report. You get that all the time. You saw a big reversal. You see that all the time too. But while you saw a large reversal in euro dollar and in cable and in gold you saw a much bigger reversal in dollar yen because the dollar move was kind of counter trend against the yen it was almost like you saw traders coming back in like really pushing back from a yen perspective against the prospect of a rally in dollar yen post report so i thought that was really interesting the fact that you had that other element really uh, coming through or at least that was my reading of it uh, but we saw Really interesting moves, I think, across the board today. We saw gold, obviously, is now trading close to $2,000. I mean, what a week, right? I mean, in a week that started with gold in illiquid uh, early Asian trade on Monday, soaring to record highs, smashing through 2070 to close to 2150 before coming back to trade around 2000 to 2030. And then we've got this disappointing report, and now it's testing 2000 again. Big psychological hurdle if we break below there in the same week that we've smashed to record highs. Uh, and Bitcoin um, has been really interesting recently as well. Uh, it's uh, it, it rose above forty four thousand dollars again today, um, which is amazing to think of when uh, when you think of where it was even just months ago. And uh, and and what was interesting about Bitcoin is people were talking a lot about what do interest rates mean for Bitcoin. If interest rates are falling, does that is that good for Bitcoin? And you think, well, sure it is. And interest rates rising was bad for Bitcoin. But it's the secondary driving force at this point. This, all the ETF excitement is still the primary driving force of Bitcoin. And what was the evidence of that today? Well, when the jobs report landed, Bitcoin fell a little bit. It immediately, almost immediately, reversed course and made new highs to the day while others were still falling. So it was really a secondary fact that you can't say it didn't have an impact. It clearly had an impact. It just didn't last very long. Uh, and of all the instruments that I was watching, Bitcoin's the one that quickly reversed course and uh, and moved then higher on the day and broke through $44,000 again, while the dollar everywhere else was still performing quite well. So it didn't hold it back too much. It's clearly still a secondary force. And I think the ETF stuff is still a major driving force between what we've seen in um, the moves behind Bitcoin recently, which is going to make it a massively interesting watch between now and year end. And if the kind of the approval process continues into Q1, then then too, because clearly there's a lot of excitement about it. Seasonally, Bitcoin also, uh, it has a limited history compared to, you know, some of the other 
ancient things we speak about, like gold and uh, you know the euro and the pound and all that sort of thing. But Bitcoin does have a, a seasonal tendency to be strong during this period of time. Uh, speculation could be maybe it's people have more free time and they're they're looking at this. At the end of the day, this is still very much a sentiment driven asset. Um, you know, the, the idea of an ETF coming online, that, that is, of course, uh, a serious thing, but it's not quite like, you know, a, a company or a currency that has an economy to back it, right? It is very, very sentiment driven. The other thing I'd mention about Bitcoin's price action recently is um, if you ever look at the, the, the biggest runs in Bitcoin, it is usually steep run-ups, pauses, followed by steep run-ups. Very infrequently is it big run, healthy pullback, big run, healthy pullback. And so if you ever look at like a weekly chart, for example, uh, it's, a, it's a good exercise. You look at the weekly chart, look at the run-ups, it's hardly ever that you see much more than one red week uh, before, before you know, the green just takes over again. Now, I'm not saying that necessarily that is the, the case. I'm uh, not particularly a, a <clears throat> opinionated on the, the asset in general, but I think that the ETF thing is, I think there's a push push and pull in terms of the uh, the ETF side of things. In some ways, it it seems like it's becoming more regulated. It's become more in the in the grasp of of you know traditional financial uh, structure. So I think that that's kind of an interesting pushback on, on the ETF side. However, it definitely brings uh, accessibility to it uh, quite a lot. You know, uh, for example, bonds you could buy them through an ETF. It's a lot easier than trying to go buy bonds. You know, through a through a, a brokerage, uh, and and then you take a look at um, you know gold or silver. You can buy it through ETFs. So there is an accessibility that that is definitely very strong there. So I definitely I agree. It's a very interesting thing to watch between now and into the new year. Okay, guys, thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. We'll speak to you next week. Thank you. Thanks, Johnny. Have a good weekend. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.